was reminded when listening back to this episode that working with a group of people in a mastermind or a mentorship group or a collaboration program of some sort really gets us all further because we can learn from each other and support each other. It lends credibility to what we're doing. We learn from each other. We form friendships and collaborations that last long beyond that. So I just wanted to put the bug in your ear that I am going to be launching this sort of group mastermind. I'm going to keep it very small, only eight people. It's going to be three months long. So if you're interested in this, I'm imagining it will fill up pretty quickly. If you'd like more information, shoot me a DM because I'm putting that information together right now. And if you're serious, I'd love you to be a part of it. There will be group calls, there will be one-on-ones, there will be guests. And the main goal is to get you through some things you're working on and just move you forward to a place you didn't even know or imagine you could get to on your own. Hey, it's Margot Tantow here. Welcome to Windowsill Chats, a podcast for creatives and the creatively curious. I am so glad you're here. I've spent decades working with artists and being one myself. I've spent time in the trenches figuring out the best way to get something made, how to put oneself out there, and how to get your work noticed and pull yourself up and face the next challenge. Windowsill Chats brings you creativity from a global perspective as I talk in depth to friends I've met along the way. I'm here to bring their stories to you as well as a few of my own and see if there's anything you can pull out for yourself. Maybe a laugh, something you can relate to, and definitely a little bit more community for your quiet corner. So grab a cup of tea or coffee, maybe your paint water, a glass of wine, and join me over in my sunny windowsill. Thanks so much for being here and joining me at the windowsill. If it is your first visit, welcome. I'm really glad that you've found us. There's lots to listen to. And if you're back for more, I so appreciate that. If you missed it, last week I spoke to the wonderful human and photographer, Justin Hackworth. You can find that episode and catch up with all sorts of great thoughts about creativity, what makes one unique, how to overcome kind of the mindset that can hold us back, things like that. But this week, I have a great, great guest for you. I'm really honored to have Jen Hewitt on the podcast this week. Jen is someone that I have wanted to have on the podcast for a long time, and I'm glad she's here because she is somebody that I admire greatly. She has a very strong work ethic as she's got a very strong sense of self. Jen is a printmaker, a surface designer, textile artist, and author. She combines her love of loud prints, 1970s maximalism, and saturated colors with the textures and light of the landscapes that surround her. And she makes just beautiful work with this as her inspiration. In addition to creating her own products, Jen designs fabric for the quilting and home sewing market and home collections for national manufacturers and retailers. Some of her clients include Moda Fabrics, World Market, Anthropology, Blue Sky Planners, and Brewster Home Fashions. She's the author of Print Pattern Sew and This Long Thread, Women of Color on Craft, Community, and Connection. And these two books, both of them very different, but so worth picking up. They're just wonderful. And I love how Jen thinks. A few of the things we talk about that I think you'll find interesting, Jen's creative path, of course. We dig into her path from HR consulting to her creative venture and life now and where she got the courage to change paths. We talk about creating momentum in a creative way. That was a lot of creative right there, but you know. This is that. Finding harmony as a self-employed artist. Keeping your day job until your business is viable. That's a very interesting topic for me. Why she shares her income sources and breakdown of these publicly. We get into that and I think that's an important thing for you to hear. When and where she started to notice a lack of diversity within the craft community. Another hot button that I think is so important. Why she believes in selling her misprints and why they often sell quickly. We talk about all sorts of things. I could keep going, but I'm just going to let Jen do the talking. So enjoy. And I'm just so glad to introduce you to Jen Hewitt, someone I think is highly creative and I love her sense of self. 
Oh, so Jen, I'm so glad you're here. I've really wanted to, well, there's many times I think, oh, I'd just love to sit down with Jen. So thanks for coming on and thanks for being here. Oh, thanks for asking me to be a part of this. I'm just always appreciative of your process and the way you've approached your art over your time and your career. And as years have gone on, I just feel like you really stick to your integrity and what you want to do. And it's, it's not always easy to do that. And that's one of the things I'd love to talk about. But do tell just kind of how you got to where you are in your printmaking and your creative life. Oh, my gosh. Um, so I always wanted to be an artist. Never thought I could be an artist. A lot of that's just conditioning um, and upbringing. And when I was in my 20s working in education, um, all of my friends were leaving their like nonprofit jobs, their education jobs to go work in tech. And I thought, you know what? I'm really interested in design. I'm going to get up and leave my education job and start a business. I started a stationary business, which is the complete opposite of what everyone else was doing. And I had that for four years, totally ran it into the ground. It was early 2000s. I think I started in 2000 and wrapped it up in 2004 and had a lot of success with it. But also I was in my late 20s. This was really before the internet was as flexible as it was, as it is now. Mm -hmm. So you could really only learn from people in person. You couldn't find any resources online and you had to wholesale everything. So because I had to wholesale everything, I was always investing in lots of inventory, not knowing whether or not it would sell. Yes. And paper is not expensive to have made, but still you rely on selling large quantities. And I wasn't, I was never sure which quantities I would be able to sell. Right. And you still have to have it at and be able to send it out and guess what's going to sell. And yeah, and that's a big investment. Huge investment. So after four years, I went and I got a corporate job and I was still working in education, but I was working in e-learning um, and I was working with all these creative people. And I decided I needed a creative outlet again, that I was like doing HR and operations, which was fine, but it wasn't my passion. Um, mm -hmm. And so on a whim, I took a screen printing class at a, at a community center, just like a drop-in class. And when I pulled my first print, I was completely in love with the, with the medium. Oh, I love knowing that. Yeah. So I thought this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. So that was after uh, the cards. That was after the cards. Yeah. I was sending the stationery. I was sending that out to be printed. Um, okay. Anyway, so I fell in love with screen printing and it was 2008, uh, January, 2008, when that was my new year's resolution. Um, I took a screen printing class and by the end of the year, I was out of a job, um, because the economy had tanked yes. and the company I was working for went under. So since I was doing HR and operations, I had to lay everybody off, including myself, uh, fun times. Mm. Um, and then I was unemployed for almost two years. Mm. You know, the best thing about that though, was, um, being unemployed at a time when the economy is terrible and I had like no debt and I had some savings and I had unemployment. So it was fine. I would just go to the studio all the time and I would work on becoming a better printmaker. Yeah. Um, and I became a better printmaker and I would do craft fairs and I would sell things. And then when the economy picked up, I was, um, I started doing consulting work. I did HR consulting for, I don't know, eight years, maybe. And that allowed me to be a printmaker the rest of the time um, and create really a body of work and a voice um, and a look that wasn't really dependent on me being able to sell it because I had another source of income coming in. That so I got is, to experiment, um, yeah. which was fantastic. I love that. And, that. and that's something that, you know, not everybody has the ability to do. But then I also think the balance with that is if you do have something, cut out spaces of time for you to be able to create because it is a it is kind of a gift at the same time where you can afford to play so play mm -hmm. right yeah exactly yeah and so I tell people like don't quit your day job because it's not gonna it's not just gonna happen for you in a year it might take six years I think I started printing in 2008 and came out in 2018 um so that was 10 years of me experimenting and getting things together and creating a portfolio before really I was ready for that kind of a move. I think everything feels more accelerated now because people have access to things like Procreate. And so 
they can go really quickly from a sketch to a repeat pattern. Um, mm -hmm. But things happened a lot more slowly a decade ago, two decades ago. <laughs> it's kind of crazy to think that, isn't it? Because it doesn't seem that long and we were all still doing some semblance of what we're doing now, you know, creatively, not all, but you know, many of us and, and, but you're right. It is, it was carving a block or in, in, and it still is, but people see it differently. You, there are ways to do that with procreate and make it look similar. And, and yeah, it's, it's very different. And it's kind of, it's kind of interesting to have spanned those changes, I imagine. Yeah. Because when I started in 2008, Etsy had just gotten big. Blogs mm -hmm. were still a thing. Social mm -hmm. media, as we know it, didn't exist. It was Tumblr. Um, and even that, I don't think Tumblr really was big until like 2012. And so trends were different. You were seeing very, very different kinds of work um, out there becoming popular. Um, now I feel like a lot of things kind of look the same. Mm -hmm. um, and there's just a lot of noise out there which is fine. I mean, that will all sort itself out um, right. and people will develop their own personal styles. But um, yeah, to have been around for 15 years now and to have gone through all of the things, you know, like I used to sell work on Twitter. I used to announce that I had a new thing and then I get retweets and then I get an order in my Etsy store. You know? <laughs> I know it just doesn't quite work the same that way, you know, I, and I agree too. I think because we can see things on such a broader scale through social media or whatever it is, that it's, one, we see that more people are doing something similar. But I think also they're doing something similar because they're like, oh, that's cool. I'll try that. And 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 there is a sameness of process sometimes and of style. And I think, you know, we just have to kind of think, how do we how do I as an artist want to continue to grow and move forward and have my business? I mean, it's, it's constant, it's, it's ongoing and to stay fresh and doing what you love, just have to have to put the time in for that. You do. And lately, you know, probably about five years ago, I unfollowed most printmakers who were working with fabric, not because I don't like their work. It was actually quite the opposite. Right. It was the sense that I was seeing other people's work and was really worried about how that would influence me. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, in the same vein, I don't follow a lot of surface designers. Um, I follow a lot of artists, mm -hmm. uh, fine artists, but I don't really follow a lot of surface designers just because I, for one thing, it's hard to be bombarded with um, images of everybody else's like success, you know, to be yeah. honest, um, and opportunities when you feel like you're in a place where you're not getting the same level of success or you're not getting the same kinds of opportunities. And what you really want to do is focus in on, on your own work and your own path rather than see what everybody else is doing and try to model your own success and your own path on other people's work. I um, think that's so key. I, I want to stay there for a second because I, I think yeah that's a great, that's a great way to do it. I, in tandem, don't listen to creative podcasts, not that because I don't totally love and enjoy them. I mean, a few here and there, of course, but I don't want to be influenced, you know, and right. um, I look at the, those people's work and read some of what they're doing, but I, I don't know. I just don't find myself doing that. And I think for so many people, so many of us, if we're constantly looking at similar things, there's imposter syndrome comes in or, you know, comparison and it's, it's just not healthy or needed. So like you said, art and artists or, or different, different kind of perspectives on that is great, but take away what might be stopping you. Right. And also it's a time suck. And, yeah, you know, if for sure, if our mothers, if our parents were to have asked us as children, like, why are you focusing on this thing that makes you feel miserable? <laughs> like, why do you spend so much time on it? <laughs> yeah. They probably would have, you know, they would have noticed that and they would have pulled us out of those environments um, if we had said something. And there are times where I'm like, I just spent half an hour scrolling through 
the explore page on Instagram. Why did I do that? Like, it oh doesn't make me feel any better. Exactly. We, we spend time on those pages and it's, it takes away from our creative momentum, I think. Yep. Yeah. Sometimes I just need to get up and go for a walk outside away yeah. from all of it. <laughs> I read something. I don't know if you follow for kinship. Um, the owner's no. name is Amy. I think you'd be intrigued. And she was saying how she realized that she spends almost a month of time. It was a crazy amount of time preparing her social media for her business, looking at social media. And she, she thought to herself, if I put more of that time into my community because she has a, a community of artists that she works with, isn't that going to be serving me more, putting it back into the people? So, and, and it's interesting to think about, just like you said about um, working with Procreator, working by hand, or we, we tend to think, okay, I should be doing this now. You know, this is how marketing should go. But if you know how to get in front of people and, and kind of build out that time for that, know what you need in social media, but then remember that it's about your creativity and, and your inspiration. Maybe some of that is time better spent on your own, you know, passion. Exactly. Or, you know, when I'm scrolling at night, maybe it would be time better spent just being present and relaxing, getting some rest, you know, or reading a book, um, working in my garden, like, I need to think more, we probably all do, about what we're giving up or not doing by spending so much time online. Yes, I I couldn't agree more. It's tricky because it's it's like a buffet. And at some point we get satiated, but it's still there. <laughs> it's still there. <laughs> that still dessert there. is still there. <laughs> we all do it. At least I do it. So I imagine Absolutely. everybody else is doing it. Oh my gosh. I, I, it cuts into my sleep for sure. Cause I, you know, I'll be busy all day and I might not have had time to check it. And then there it goes. There goes the time. I'd rather, I'm, I'm trying now to pick up a book instead. And, and that is so nice. Cause that's what we used to do in, in much, in much more healthy ways. But there's so much that we need from social media, or I should say so many things that it's helpful for, for our business that it's just managing that, I think. Yeah. And, you know, it is finding that balance and that harmony as a self-employed artist, because we can say that, but at the same time, we need that tool. Yes. And I wouldn't have the career I have now without a flexible internet. I wouldn't have this career if it weren't for for Etsy, if it weren't for Shopify, if it weren't for even Pinterest, which I try not to, that's just a, a cesspool of images <laughs> without Instagram for sure. I would yeah. not have a career without any of those tools. Well, and just thinking of how I've been able to follow your career, I mean, it's all been social media. I mean, granted, I've been lucky enough to spend just a tiny bit of time in person with you, but it's been watching, oh my gosh, she's got this great little part of her porch that she can have her studio in and just kind of, you know, knowing that your passion it felt like your passion was there, you know, when you would carve these beautiful blocks and make things and you had the, you know, you've had a couple of great programs that people could, could subscribe to and get a piece of something you made and, and then watching that grow and me being a product development person, I'm always thinking, you know, oh my gosh, Jen could turn that into, you know, A, B, C, and D, because that's just how <laughs> I roll with that. And then seeing you, that's really start to happen for you was great was um fabric the first remind me what the first collection was or the first kind of big jump from making it all at home to to licensing it yeah the first thing was actually um I worked with fringe supply company and I would do print fabric for them like 100 200 pieces at a time that they would use in their field bags. Um, mm-hmm. And so that is actually still the reason why I'm, I am able to make things that the knitters like, because I still don't knit. Um, 
And so that came out and then I ended up licensing with Karen when I could not keep up with the demand and people started getting snippy with me because mm. they couldn't buy the bag that they wanted. <laughs> so I licensed and Karen had everything manufactured nice. um, in Nashville and then fabric came out that same year. And okay. of course with fabric, you have to work a year in advance. So um, I think I probably finished that in 2017 and then it came out in 2018 and then my book came out. And um, it was really, yeah, it was a bunch of things all at once. And which is what has happened in my career. I have a bunch of things happen all at once. And I think this is it. I am set now. I'm going to be (laughs) moving forward on this crazy trajectory. And then it lasts for like two years. And then it's quiet again for another two years. So right now I'm in that quiet two years. And it's always, it's hard to come down from the craziness of the previous two years. But yeah, that was the first, that was really the first thing. That's exciting. I do. I did. Re, I did. Rem, I forgot it was for those bags, but I did remember the fabric part and and I in the book, too. That was so great because I think, you know, books, everybody thinks, oh, I want a book. And it's not always a cut and dried like moneymaker, but it's a brand builder for sure. Right. Yeah. And in the industries that I work in, I tell the story about um I was in talks with a licensing or with a betting company to license to create a whole line of betting for them. It didn't work out for a variety of reasons, but I was meeting with the crusty, crusty CEO um, who was a man in his like late Mm sixties at the time. And which is not old, but you know, like in the garment industry, like he's, he's been there, he's seen it. He's, he knows everything. Nothing can impress him. So I'm showing him samples of my fabric collection and some things that I've designed. And, you know, he's like, Oh, you know, this is not nice. So this is pretty. And then I show him the book and he stopped and said, you wrote a book. And he went through it really slowly and turned the pages. And I think because often I am working in industries with that are like not as hip to social media where, um, they still are working like retail is still working on a, a one year, 18 month development yes. calendar. Um, a lot of times the key holders, the stakeholders are a, like a decade older than me, at least. Yeah. Um, so they're not impressed by numbers on social media, but they are impressed by a book. Mm-hmm. Those um, things that they have more familiarity a, with. Exactly. And also putting together a book like it's a huge deal. It means that you can project manage a process right? mm-hmm. <laughs> that you can communicate clearly. Exactly. And that your, your work and your ethos is seen as important enough for a publisher to say, we want to put this out into the world. That, that says a lot to, to a potential, pro, you know, job prospect or, or a creative relationship. Exactly. So yeah, I, most people do not get rich writing books. Let me tell you. <laughs> in fact, you probably yes. go, you you end up doing all other kinds of work in order to survive during the months or the years that you're working on the book. <laughs> it's true, but that's a good example of how it can pay off as well. And just for people sitting there listening, thinking, well, how can I do a book? It's not, that's not a straightforward process either, you know, landing a project like that. How did that work for you? Was it, do you think that had to do with how you showed up on social media and how you showed up in the world? Um, possibly, but it was my first book, Print Pattern So, was actually based on a project that I had done. And it was also, a lot of it was the curriculum of these classes that I had been teaching. Right, right. That's it. Yeah, that we did. We skipped that right? part. Remember, I used to do that. <laughs> yes, I do. Yeah, yeah. Low production value, but chock full of information. Um, yeah. But yeah, I... I decided at some point that I had like gotten all the mileage I wanted out of teaching those classes in person um, and teaching my online class. And I thought I'd like to write a book. I'd always, you know, I was an English major. I'd always wanted to have some kind of book that I'd contributed to. And I started putting together a proposal. And I got to say, I put together a proposal using some information I found like by Googling and it came up. Martha Stewart Living had um, how to write a craft book proposal. Like literally people think it's really, really hard to do all this stuff and there's all this hidden knowledge. And it's literally like half an hour of Googling and you will find all the information you need. (laughs) So true. Oh my gosh. The questions people (laughs) ask before Googling. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I had, I did something about my like income sources. I did a little pie chart and a bunch of people are asking me, what is licensing? And I thought, could you just like 
take a minute to Google what is art licensing. Like I, seriously. I think that many times a week for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, I put together the proposal for the book um, and asked friends who had published if they could recommend editors. And yes. so I submitted them to editors. Um, and, and then someone contacted me, just like a cold call, um, mm -hmm. saying, I love this project you've done. I'm wondering if you'd like to turn it into a book. And I already had the proposal ready. And I said, so I've shopped this around. I think I'm going to get a couple of offers in the next couple of weeks. Um, so if you're interested, you need to act really quickly, which was a nice position to be in. Yes, very. Um, and so that was actually the editor, the publisher that I went with was Roost. I love that. Um, and it, that's yeah. very cool that they reached out to you too. That's, there's something to that. Exactly. But that was, I remember now that in that timeline, because there were also not as many people teaching and I just felt like your, I, I just always love your integrity and how you how you really approach these things in a way that was your love for it translated to the people taking the class and to do a book and know that you could write that down and encapsulate in a way that then you might not have to do it again as many times and you could still share it with the world was just, it was, it was great. And, and it really, I think that made a difference and it was a beautiful book. Thank you. Well, listen, I, worked in education for a long time. So I understood how to take some complex information and break it down into chunks. But also I worked in operations for a long time. And so operations and printmaking go hand in hand because you're just figuring out like a process and then you can replicate it as many times as you need to. So with printmaking, I have one design that I can print on a zillion different things myself. And I think I approached a lot of times, I approached the classes that way too, where you know, I had the basic curriculum. How many different ways can I get the curriculum out into the world? Yeah. And staying on the book subject, I think your second book too, more thoughty, um, so important. And I'm, I'll say the title of both. The first one, Print Pattern and Sew. The second one, This Long Thread, Women of Color on Craft, Community, and Connection. And that the title is brilliant because who wouldn't want to pick that up and understand it more. And the timing was poignant as well. Can you talk a little bit about where that one came from? Yeah. So I had wanted, when I met with my editor right before my first book came out, I had just come from like a, a week long craft camp mm -hmm. and it was so overwhelmingly white. And I told my editor, I said, you know, this isn't my experience. My experience of craft has been with my own communities and with my own friends. And so it was kind of jarring to go into a world that was just like very, very white. But on top of that, that was what I was seeing in terms of publishing too, that the craft books, the art books that were coming out were for the most part written by white, specifically white women. And I felt that that didn't reflect the community as a whole. I remember t mentioning this to an, a net, an editor with another publisher and she got really defensive and she said, you know, when the proposals come in, I don't know what the race of the person is. I don't know what they look like. So I'm just picking the books based on the proposals. And I thought, well, actually I found my publisher because she purposely contacted yeah. me. Yeah. Right. And so I know that the bulk of these people that are getting book deals at least at this point in time, it was a lot of a lot of times it was editors realizing, oh, the social media thing has legs. Um, we're going to start going after these people who have blogs, who have big social media followings. And yeah. so I knew that editors were purposely talking to specific people. And so I had proposed to my editor a beautiful like coffee table book of women of color who are doing crafts and working and sewing and knitting. And we couldn't make the numbers work because it required photography and right. there was no way they could pay me Some travel. Um, and yeah, like there was no way in advance we'd cover any of that or most of that. And so I put that aside for a year or two. And then in 2018, I think is when it happened, 2018 or 2019, must've been 2019, a sudden just wave of discussion about the lack of diversity in the way that, uh, in the craft industry, in the public portrayals of who crafts, uh, marketing um, communities, knit nights, quilting camps, all those kinds of things. People started talking about them a lot more openly, people of yeah. color, 
because of a post written by my friend Karen, who ran Fringe Supply Company. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I told her, and I've told her this before, like, you were not the problem, you were the catalyst. Like right. what you said, yes, was problematic. But what ended up happening was all of us who were feeling some resentment towards an industry that took our money, but refused to even acknowledge that we were forward, right? Yep. You know, all that resentment had built up. And now people felt that they had the opportunity and the place and the right to talk about these things that there was a wave of support for us. So I decided at that moment, maybe this is the time to pick up this idea again, and to make it a lot more humble of a book to not have it be a glossy coffee table, heavily photo-based book that was going to talk again, really, in order to sell it, we'd have to talk to the folks who were already, already had large followings, already had a large presence, which, you know, as someone who is one of those people, I'm always, I'm always like, everybody wants me to talk at their conference or come to their guild or whatever, because I'm like the low hanging fruit. And I wanted to get away from, um, only talking to the quote unquote low hanging fruit, the people who are already really obvious and have large followings. And so I put together um, a survey with a bunch of friends as my sounding board and sent that out saying, if you're a person, if you're a woman of color, if you're a person of color who engages in these crafts, would you be willing to fill out the survey? And I thought I might get a hundred respondents you know, over the course of the month. And I ended up getting, right. I got a hundred within the first weekend. (laughs) And so I told my editor and my agent, because now I have a literary agent. I said, I think, I think I'm going to be okay. I think I'm going to have all the information I need. Um, And I ended up getting close to 300 responses total. Plus I did another 19 or 20 interviews and I commissioned some essays. So it was really a labor of love um, and the community showed up for the book um, just like overlapping communities. Uh, it's still, it was published in 2021. Is that right? Yeah. Cause I moved here in 2021 and it's still like quilt guilds, fabric stores, yarn stores will have, they'll make it their book of the month. Um, mm. And so their book group will get together and read it. Um People are discovering it for the first time um, and discussing it. I think my friend Dana included it in her in one of her academic papers or in her um, dissertation. She's just got her PhD wow. um, in marketing studies from Howard. Like she, you know, so it's the book has legs, and I feel like at this point, like I've I've done my work there. I'm gonna let the book live on, mm-hmm. and um, you yeah. asked a very important. Well, important is just one word, a very relevant question at a time when people were really starting to talk about that. And so I think the legs make sense because the more we want to understand who's out there that we're not hearing from, where do we find that information? And it, and it's, it's social media or you can you can come to some of these resources like you this beautiful book you've created and i i'm just grateful that it's in the world and and that some of those things can be read and those people can be found and and heard yeah and to find each other that folks have been yeah. able to find each other and to say oh the story other. is not unlike my own or i never thought about it this way i've learned something about myself or about my mother, for example. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's that. I'm glad you said that. It is It is that about finding each other or hearing or reading about somebody and you thought, oh, I thought I was the only one or I felt, you know, like I've been working in my studio all alone and I and look at these people that are that are like me, you know, or think like me. And that that just helps us mm-hmm. not to feel so on an island. I hear that a lot about the conversations that we have here on the podcast is, you know, a lot of people listening are in their studio working for hours on end. And um, it's nice to hear that there's other people approaching things in a similar way. Right. So you also, a a couple, there was one thing you said that I wanted to touch back on too. a couple things they kind of lead together is that you kind of put a lot of energy into doing things behind the scenes that aren't 
people aren't necessarily seeing. Like I'm working on a book and a fabric collection and I'm teaching some classes and then it sort of all hits at once. And then it has a run, but you have to keep, you can't just rest on your laurels. As they say, you have to keep kind of going. And I, I feel like you, you were made some really good life decisions and changed some things in your life, like location. And is that something that has helped you, um, helped you in your creative process? Yes, because, um, right now I used to print in my tiny my tiny studio when I lived in San Francisco, which was the service porch. And it was like yeah. the size of a King mattress, King size mattress. I have it in my mind's eye. The size it's of so, a King was, size mattress. That's, that's a great, that's great right? to hear. I, I mean, I loved that room. Um, and I loved being able to work in there and it had windows on one side. Um, but it also didn't have a lot of space for me to work. And so I was constantly like contorting myself in order to print, which contributed to a back injury. Um, and I didn't have space to dry everything. And so I had to be really mindful of what I was going to work on just because I didn't have the space to do the kinds of work I really wanted to do. Um, now I live in a place where my studio is the attic and it's mm -hmm. 1400 square feet. And now I have all the space to do whatever I want, which I've got to say is intimidating um, mm -hmm. at first. And I, but you just kind of have to let yourself deal with things in very small bits until mm -hmm. you feel like you can fully occupy your space, or at least that's how it worked for me. And now I have an actual screen printing setup. Like I have a washout station. Yes. I have a dark room in the basement with an exposure unit that I bought from some guy I found on Facebook marketplace. And I drove oh. down to Brooklyn, like to go pick it up from him in a parking lot outside of a mall. <laughs> like it was, yeah. <laughs> it was all the things. Um, and then I had the plumber come in and install the washout station yeah. and just like, I actually have the space um, to do all of these things and to experiment. Um, I used to work at a shared studio and I had to plan my day around going there and getting parking because it was San Francisco. And when I would go and get my burrito for lunch, uh, how much time I'd have to print. And it was always, it was always such a production. And here, like I'll wash a screen, work for a couple of hours, coat the screen, work for another couple of hours. Like, there's just an ease to what I do now um, that feels really, really nice. Um, and I also have the time, which is not really what I would have expected. Uh, it's not at all what I expected when I moved here. Right. Because there are certainly things like I live in a more rural area. I can't walk to everything. So I do have to get in my car and plan out like I need to go to the pet store. I need to get groceries. At the same time, there also is like no traffic where I live. There's always parking. Yeah. Um, my friends might live 40 minutes away, but it's 40 minutes of driving. It's not like when I would go to Oakland um, out of San Francisco and it would take me 40 minutes just to get to the bridge. Right, um, right. Because sitting in stressful traffic. Oh, so stressful. And here it's just like I'm driving along country roads, <clears throat> which definitely can be can be scary, especially at night. But um there is a certain amount of ease to living here that I did not expect. Um, and that is a huge relief. I love that. And, and you did, you made that choice to move a, all the way across the country away from friends and family and what you knew, but that was a, that was a, a choice that allowed you to have that space and, and that calmness, I, I imagine. Yes. And also, you know, to be fair, I didn't just pick up and move. I've been coming to this area right. since 2016 yeah. and I would do artist residencies here. And so I developed, a, that's the other thing because people have time and because there's a certain amount of ease, um, everybody would be excited. Like a new artist is in town. We're going to go hang out at their show. We're going to take her class. Mm. Um, so I met people that way. And then I would, you know, that's they right. would introduce me to their to their friends. And so by the time I moved here, like I had friends, I didn't have a car when I moved here. I had friends who would text me and say, going to the grocery store, can I come pick you up? Um, you know, or a friend of a friend introduced me to someone and said, and she asked me, my friend who's in her 70s, my new friend who's in her 70s said, how can I help ease this transition? And I said, mm. just introduce me to people. Yeah, You know, that's all I really need. Um, so yeah. now I have a gaggle of 70 something and 80 something friends who love that. I help them with their Instagram. Oh gosh, that's great. <laughs> that's so great. <laughs> yeah. 
all the things, right? All the things that we didn't know we were necessarily experts at, but we just have to be a step ahead of, of that person. Exactly. <laughs> no, but that's right. I had forgotten that part. You, you did teach a lot there and that's, you know, I live here on Vashon because of coming here to visit, meeting a few people and feeling a huge difference in what creative community meant here and thinking to myself, how do, how do I, how do I get there? You know, how do I, that was a big, that was a big shift, but how do we, how do we get there? So highly recommend. (laughs) Yep. And you know, I got a lot of, or I got a few passive aggressive comments on social media when I said I was moving, you know, why would you pick up and leave your family and your friends? I find this really interesting. I'm intrigued by this move. And there was a lot of judginess in this. And I thought, well, you know, you don't have to be stuck. If you don't want to be stuck, you don't necessarily have to be stuck. And I don't have children, you know, like it's a lot easier for me to pick up and move. I do have aging parents and that has been, it has been hard to be away from them. Mm -hmm. Um, But planes do exist and it's not like I'm going anywhere else right now. (laughs) So um, yeah, I think it's important for all of us to do things every once in a while that we think are hard or that are to dare to do things that we thought were maybe impossible because we just learned that we can do hard things. And like the more that you do hard things and are okay, the more that you know you can do hard things and be okay. That deserves repeating. It really does because- Sometimes those things feel so hard and daunting and we, we know we have to get through it and then look, we do. And, and you can feel proud of that. You can feel empowered by that. You can, you can learn by that and be humbled by that as well. And again, I, it's, it's just part of life. So figure out how to embrace it, (laughs) I think, you know, but I do think those, you know, we're, we all have different personalities and I tend to be one that if something seems really, if it's still tugging at me and it's important and it feels the interest of that is still speaking to me that I, then I want to pay attention to that because we only go through this. I mean, we don't know how many times we go through it, but we know we're here once. And so what do you want it to look like? You know, so we get to make those choices. And I I always feel like the people that doubt us or question that I would love to give them a little brave pill. Yeah. (laughs) Do a brave thing today. See what happens. You know, one thing I wanted to circle back on too was that you started sharing your income sources and being really open about that, which I think is super helpful for people um, starting out and trying to figure out how does this all work? Where does the money come from? Um, What kind of prompted you to be as forthcoming with that? The original idea for those charts was Andrea Pippins, who is an artist who I've admired for a long time. She's an illustrator um, and an author. She's written quite a few books, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, She started sharing hers. And of course, because she's Andrea, everything looked really pretty. Like it all looked so good. And I thought, well, you know what? I'm going to try this myself and, um, you know, thank her for the inspiration and I never sh- share dollars, to be honest. I don't put the actual numbers out there. I just put the percentages out there. Oh, okay. Um, but I wanted, I wanted really to show that it takes a lot of things to make a living um, as an artist. Is I think percentages almost kind of make more sense sometimes because we can apply that to our own self. And dollars sometimes FOMO gets in the way or whatever. But percentages, it's like, oh, you can take a percentage of a dollar or a hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. And kind of see how that fits. So interrupted you. Sorry, but no, that's fine. I like that yeah. approach. And sometimes, you know, there were times when I really just didn't want to teach anymore. Um, and if I figured out a way to replace that income, then I could teach a lot less. Um, so it really helped me kind of conceptualize uh, not just where my money was coming from, but how I could give and take between the different slices of the pie chart over the course of the coming year. Um, you know, I posted once, I think teaches, uh, classes after, or sometime during the pandemic, like I had been teaching a lot and then 2020 was supposed to be my last year of teaching in person. And I mm. wanted to move on from that because I'd been doing it for five years at that point and I was burning out and then COVID intervened and I 
retired a few months early. But somebody said, you know, just a thought, couldn't you increase that percentage from 1% to something else? And I thought, well, no, actually, I'm really happy with it being just 1% because Mm -hmm. uh, that 1% of teaching actually took up way more time than the 30% of, say, licensing or Mm -hmm. the 40% of uh, product sales. So, you know, if I were to do a pie chart on how much time I'm spending on each of those things, that would be really interesting. However, I don't track that. So mm-hmm. I have no clue. <laughs> <laughs> but it would be, wouldn't it? Because when you think about those financial percentages and what takes the most time, and I, you know, I kind of like to add to that, what, where's your heart in that? Or what, you know, where, which things do you like the most to put it, you know, kind of straightforwardly, that's, that helps in ma- in making some of those decisions, I think. Yeah. Sometimes, I mean, you know, right now, because I'm on that two-year slump or the two-year plateau or two-year quiet, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. now I'm just looking at like, okay, what can I do right now that's going to bring me the most income until things pick up? Um, mm-hmm. And I have a pretty good idea of that just based on, you know, years and years of experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and But, you know, kind of uh, keeping track of it in that way when there is that in between time, you, it just, it's another underliner of, oh, I can, this works for me, you know, instead of yeah. just kind of keeping it in your mind somewhere. I, it's just, I think that's helpful for other people to see that. I appreciate that you do that. Thank you. Yeah. What are you thinking? What's happening? What's, what's coming, showing up that you're excited or leaning into? Ooh. Um, well, I always get excited every May about my garden. So that's what I'm really thinking about that's a right now. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because in May, it, it looks like nothing at all. And just mm-hmm. a bunch of little seedlings. And then come late June, it's going to be gorgeous and abundant, um, which, you know, is a metaphor, I'm sure. Indeed. Um, what have I been working on? So I've been printing a lot lately because I have this I finally figured out um, exposure time on my exposure unit. So an emulsion apparently only lasts about two weeks in this climate. So I have to burn as many screens as possible in a short period of time. So the impetus for doing that is pretty strong. Uh, It's really fun. Yeah, that's Um, exciting. Yeah, so I hopefully will get to experiment a lot over the next few months. Um, I have had to travel a lot to Los Angeles to be with my parents uh, because they both have old folks health problems. Um, and so that's been, you know, really hard and really dis- disruptive of my schedule and my plans, but also I have the luxury of being able to pick up and leave when I need to, um, yeah. for the most part. But, um, I have all these ideas percolating for, I want to do an old school analog newsletter mm. when I was in first Love grade that. at the end of the school year, my, dad asked me to get all my classmates uh, addresses. And then we put together a newsletter that uh, he would, he he was trained as a draftsman. So he would do like cut and paste. He could do oh, mockups yeah. and layouts and then have them copied. And, and we'd send them to all of my classmates and then they'd send me stories. And then the next edition would be like their stories that we put into the newsletter. Oh my gosh. So super fond memories of doing that. And I want to do something kind of like that um, because I'm tired of being online. (laughs) I love sending out my newsletter twice a month, once a month, sometimes on um, just my, my email newsletter. But I also, I crave the old days when you'd send something out Mm -hmm. and it would live physically in somebody's home Yes. And they, and there wouldn't be a lot of back and forth, right? Right. Like it was like, there's something really slow and beautiful about that. And now I feel as if with social media and even with the newsletter, like there's a constant back and forth. There are comments, there are email responses. There's a lot that I have to read and manage and respond to. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just, I crave, yeah. I crave like the nice letter that you send your friend and they mm-hmm. write back to you and it takes them maybe three weeks. You know, I, I miss those days. So 
I'm trying to figure out what form this newsletter will take. If I even mm-hmm. have anything interesting to say in an analog mm-hmm. newsletter. Oh yes. Um, right. <laughs> but you know, I, that circles back to the time we're spending and where we're spending it. Because if you, if I'm glancing at your social media and I see, you know, beautiful new packaging you've done or a wallpaper or something like that, and it passes by my head, my eyes, it pops into my brain and then I'm on to the next thing. I mean, I might spend a few minutes there or even seconds, right? But if I get a newsletter from someone and we were, I was talking about this this weekend with someone not that long ago, if you were going to Surtex or the gift show or whatever it was, you sent a postcard Mm -hmm. to that person you were hoping would come see your work. I would get stacks of them, stacks of them. And keep the ones I liked, pin them up, make sure I wanted to, you know, remember that artist. I don't get, I get a few at Christmas time, honestly. That's kind of how it is. And there's something, especially about a newsletter, Jen. And I love that you said that you, your friends would send in things too. I mean, who knows what that could grow into as long as it's not, again, as long as it fits into your passion and your schedule. Um, we used to do, my family used to do something like that at Christmas time. And it was, it was printed. I very simply, I don't think we printed them or sometimes we might've block printed them or whatever. We would all sit down, my little sister and myself, when we were young, color in the parts we were supposed to, the bird was blue, the bow was red or whatever. And the, you know, but it was, it was so different than what we do now. And I think this sounds like a fantastic idea. I can't wait to to see what you do with that. And it because it is, it's something you can revisit and hold in your hand. And I I miss turning down those pages of a magazine, even though I love being <laughs> able to find this stuff. But I loved that time to myself to to dig in and and think about things. Do you remember anthology magazine? I do. Yes, I do. Oh, I think I have all of my back copies. Uh, I, there's some over so there, good. I'm sure. So I used good. To, so good. I used to work with a man. Um, we were both consultants. He was a CFO consultant at a couple of clients that we shared um, in common. And he told me that his then girlfriend, now wife, was really into craft and design. And he wanted to get her something for Christmas that she would really enjoy. Um and that was thoughtful. So he thought he would ask me for help in this, mm-hmm. which Love I appreciate that. when people do that. And I said, oh, you, you should get her a subscription to Anthology Magazine. She'll love it. Good so he did that. And he said, do you know that every time that magazine comes in, she pours herself a glass of wine, tells me to leave her alone for a few hours. And she just sits on the couch with her glass of wine and reads the magazine slowly. And I thought... Yeah, this, you know, I got some major brownie points here. He's like, that's the best gift recommendation I've ever gotten. Um, but I miss that, right? Yeah. yeah, I do too. I think there's things like certainly Uppercase or Selvage mm-hmm. Magazine, but there were so many and so much of that information is now we're thumbing through it with our, you know, we're on our screen. And so... All that to say, I can't wait to subscribe to that particular newsletter. <laughs> I need to figure this out because now I'm talking about it. And now I really have to do it before somebody else is like, I'm going to do it and do it better exactly. than you, Jen. <laughs> no, no. Oh, but I do. I think it just goes back to that listening to your gut and thinking, this feels important to me. So I'm going to put it out there. And if people want to come along, then those are my people, you know? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I feel like I could there's a million more, more things we can talk about. Will you come back and, and chat with me another time? Oh, yes. I, I can will, talk forever. <laughs> I can talk for another hour. This could be a two, a two hour version. Will you tell me who's inspiring you these days? I know you've, you've mentioned some good ones right now. I mean, throughout our talk and I'll have those in the show notes. You talked about Andrea Pippen and Karen from Friends Supply, but who's inspiring you these days? Mm, who is inspiring me these days? Let me think about what I've got pinned up on my wall upstairs because, um, so do you know who Amos P. Kennedy is? Amos P. Kennedy the third. I think he's Kennedy Prince on Instagram. He is a 
fantastic. He likes to think of himself as a commercial printer. Um, okay. um, old school letterpress carves a lot of his own blocks. Um, he's hilarious. He's in Detroit and he um, just attended the school of bad print. Uh, so he, <laughs> what he loves, I mean, he, he's incredibly smart and has these hilarious uh, kind of snarky things that he'll print along with inspirational quotes. Um, but he is really into the process of printmaking for the sake of the process. Um, and hopefully he won't get mad at me for, hopefully I'm properly describing what it is he does. But he is not about perfection. He is about uh, showing the hand uh, in what he, he does. Oh, that and so, chills. right. And it's, I think right now, because we're in this really, like everything's glossy and perfect and yes. Instagram ready phase, we actually crave just seeing distressed, you know, the distress of, and I don't mean this negatively, but the yeah. distress of hand printing, of making things by hand, and mm -hmm. the imperfections of that, the ways that our our skills show up um, mm -hmm. in the work that we do. So I am loving that right now. Mm -hmm. um, that oh encapsulates a lot, that, that hand. I think how you print, how you, when you choose to to screen print or block print. And, you know, Lisa just put out a risograph print and instead of just a, you know, anything like that that shows slight variation or mm -hmm. the hand is always so appealing to me. So I can't wait to go check out Amos B. Kennedy the third. <laughs> and I will say that whenever I print and, you know, nothing I print is perfect. Um, I am a good printmaker. I'm a good screen printer. I am not fussy in any way. So sometimes things are slightly misregistered. Sometimes um, they're not centered. Right. And I tell people, so every perfect print is exactly like all the other perfect prints, yeah. but every misprint is one of a kind because oh, I can't so make the well same said. mistake over and over again. I love that. And who wouldn't want that? Right. Yeah. So I do sell my misprints. Like I will probably be doing... Um, not sheep and wool, wool and folk in October. Okay. And I save all of my misprints for when I sell in person. Um, mm -hmm. Because when you can see what the problem is, um, I, I just feel like if you can see what the problem is, I'm not bamboozling you by selling you a misprint. <laughs> but right. those always go really, really quickly. Because people love the misprints. But I can't photograph every single misprint. I'm sure there's, I'll go back upstairs and I'll realize, oh, I completely forgot to mention. I love that you're visualizing that who's on your bulletin board because that's that's it, right? It's kind of like, who's I in know. front of me these days? Well, and then the one and only Dries Van Noten, who I I think as, as someone who loves textiles, who loves pattern, um, yes. his work... And I'm not a fashion person. Like I love clothes, um, yeah. but I'm not a clothes horse by any means. Also, I can't afford his work. Him and Duro Lowu, hopefully I'm not mispronouncing that completely. Also, he's, um, I think, a Nigerian designer who lives in London. His wife is Thelma Golden, who is the head of the Harlem Museum. There is this amazing way that they combine prints or combine pattern and color. Dries uh, Van Noten is very like refined, mm -hmm. whereas Duro is also refined, but a lot more joyful. Like when, you know, one is a Belgian, so very, very subtle, <laughs> right. subtle and mellow. Whereas the other one is like, you know, I, I hope I, I hope I'm right. And he's Nigerian because it would be very embarrassing if I got the country wrong, but there's a lot more ebullience in that. And I just, both of those things I really appreciate. That's also one of the things I absolutely love about going to India, which is you can be in a town that is dusty, that has dirt roads where there are cows and goats wandering on the side of the road. And then two women will walk by in the most brilliantly colored saris, gorgeous patterns, you know, like all their gold jewelry on just to walk down the street to go to yeah. the buy vegetables. Um, but color and texture and pattern, these are all things that get me really excited. Even if most days I'm wearing jeans and a sweatshirt. I, well, and you get to work that way, you know, you get to work with those things. So wear what you want and design what's in your, you know, what's in your passionate heart and head at that time. It doesn't matter what, what you're looking like, because, you know, just looking at your Instagram too, I was looking at that, the other day. And it's so delicious, Jen. You, 
it's just what you're doing and what you're working on, but it's, it's very enticing. I mean, there's a a picture of your house, but I want to dig into the curtains, you know, or, or that, what was it? Tea packaging. Um, so, so I just love your work and, and seeing how it's evolved and as it gets, um, more broadly licensed or on different prod products, it's, it's just really nice to see your passion come to life. Thank you. And I do love working with licensees because they end up, you know, there's a lot of adaptation that has to happen. Um, mm-hmm. Colors get changed, scale gets changed, depending on what I'm working with. And so in many ways, it's a two-way process um, that I'm providing the artwork and they're applying it to the vision that they have for the product. Um, and we go back and forth until we get something that we're both happy with. You're speaking my language. I I don't think, okay, let's do a whole episode on that because I don't (laughs) think this is talked about enough. I feel like people think, oh, I'm just going to put my art out into the world and it's going to be picked up and reproduced exactly like that. And mm, N-O. No, no. Mm -mm. It's going to be inspired. It's going to inspire that art director or creative director who project manager, whatever it is to reach out to you. That's what it's doing. And then Mm -hmm. you go from there. Right. And like, for example, a fabric collection, there are constraints in terms of what can be printed. Um, Some of them I don't, I know from experience, other things are things that the factory, you know, will say. So I might create something with elements that I'm really excited about that have to get toned down Mm -hmm. or uh, that have to be removed altogether because they won't print well. Right. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. And when you take that to dimension, it might not pull out of the mold the right way, or we Mm -hmm. might not be able to, to add that certain texture or material or gold because of the price or who we're working with or so many things like that. But the cool thing is if it's, it's carrying forward your vision, working with somebody and, 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 and knowing how to maneuver those compromises and stand for what's key for you because every right. time it's a learning and I, f- I find it fascinating. I do too. I'd love doing this. Yeah. I, I love doing it too. I've been doing that for a long time. <laughs> I mean, a couple of things I, that come to mind is, and, and it, and it, sometimes I would have as a creative director, I would have a project manager that had a budget. Right. And I had a, I had a visual goal. They had a financial goal and not that I wasn't paying attention to that, but I, I can, particularly remember this one plate where I wanted this artwork on the bottom debossed and then decaled. And this project manager I was working with was like, that debossed part is going to cost whatever it was, 12 cents. And I'm like, it is going to be worth it because it will make the perceived value will be way more, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. these are the conversations and you as the artist is you're just, you want it to look how you have in your mind too. And it's a, it's a dance. It's a, it's kind of a beautiful dance. And, and I appreciate you mentioning that because I think we should, we should revisit that. (laughs) I know I can talk endlessly about what it's, you know, having to adapt colors based on uh, trend forecast palettes that your manufacturer that's plotting things out two years in advance, you know, or your licensee, like there are all these things I think people just don't realize, which is also why I am, and maybe this is controversial, I'm against art buyouts, right? That as I I actually do want to have some back and forth in the licensing process. Um, I love that part, the back and forth. It's so important. I find that so important because it's your voice and yeah, I... And it's think, my name. Yes, yeah. it's your name. I I agree. And and I know a lot of businesses in, in different industries, you know, clothing industry works much more on a on an art buyout, but um part of the learning and in my opinion, the better product comes from a collaboration between the artist and the person who knows what the final dollar has what that has to look like and what the process path is. So I'm glad you stand for that because mm-hmm. me too. Yes. So you have some new collections coming out. Speaking of product. New- yes. I have a new fabric collection. 
as of today, uh, which is what, May 9th, I think. Excellent. Um, yes. For Ruby Star Society, it's called Verbena. And Ooh, I think I love it's that. available for order for a couple of months um, for wholesale order. And then it hits stores in November. Um, so that's very exciting. I'm really excited about that. I just had a wallpaper collection come out. Actually, it's been a few months now, I think in February, mm. um, which has been really fun. I want to do a lot more stuff around home. Um, yes, please, please. Right. And the nice thing about home is that it has a lot of staying power. So mm-hmm. people are, you're essentially like creating and selling a thing that people are going to reach for every day, or they're going mm-hmm. to use in their lives every day. Um, it really does stay. You don't, we don't always think about it might not be in the store that long, but the, that consumer, it might be their favorite room or mug or dress or whatever for exactly. years. Yep. Um, mm. And then I do have a dress. Uh, I do have a few. Um, I'm working. I worked with a clothing company actually based fairly locally here in the Hudson Valley. Um, and they will have some dresses available with a few of my prints in the fall. Um, I can't we say just, more about that. We'll yet, watch but, your, we'll watch your yeah. social. We'll wait for our newsletter to tell us that. <laughs> and I just, that just came back on my radar. Um, yeah. And I'm just printing a lot. So that's, that's, that's about it. And I'm working on new uh, projects, you know, not for any specific client. I just am constantly working and drawing. Um, it's really important for me to do that and not necessarily to build a portfolio, but just to play with ideas. I think um, that's the mo- that's where new business comes from because that's where your heart is poured in instead of thinking, exactly. oh, I should do this now. I, yeah. I, and I think I'm glad I always felt you're very good at that. Thanks. Right now I'm, I'm not as good as I should be, but, um, the balance. you know, everything comes and goes in waves. Yes, it does. And you have some classes. Do you have a, a good summer class coming, right? Is there still room? Oh, that's that? right. No, that is completely full. Never. I will be teaching at uh, Haystack at the at the end of August. Great. So a week long screen printing class. Yeah, Haystack is interesting because you have to apply, mm-hmm. um, and then they f- they figure out who's in the class, um, and then they have a wait list, and so that I think everything was settled as of April first. That's so. exciting. Ooh, yeah, that'll really be a nice. fun one to watch. I love teaching screen printing. Absolutely yeah. love it. It just requires a lot of time and space. So I do it once a year and that's it. Well, something to something for people to put on their calendars to figure out when that comes up for the next year. <laughs> that's right. Oh gosh. Well, thanks so much, Jen, for spending this much time with me today. Obviously we have lots to talk about and, and lots of shared passions. And I have just been a fan of your work for the longest time. And so keep doing what you're doing and bringing us along with you. Cause, um, yes, the more I can, you know, the more we can get in our homes and our lives, then the better we are off we are for it. Well, thank you, Margo, for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And we will do this again. Yes, please. Before you go, I just want to say a quick thanks for tuning in. I hope you found something useful to take away and something to make you think. For those of you listening in on Spotify, and I know there are many, you now have the cool option to show your love for Windowsill Chats quickly and easily. From the show page in the Spotify app, you can simply tap to rate it one to five stars. And of course, I'll really appreciate it too if you leave a review wherever you might be listening. See you next week, lovelies, and I hope it's a creative one.